Then he sang that song he just sung about the storm uh, passing by, and I thought about the text that we're going to preach out of tonight, Psalms 107, and I trust that you'll pray with us and for us uh, tonight, okay? Psalms 107, I'm trying my best to get there. I do know where it's at, I just got to find it. All right, Psalms 107, I'm going to start my reading in uh, verse number 21, and uh, then do my very best to bring you the message the Lord has laid up on our heart for the hour tonight, okay? The Bible said in Psalms chapter number 107, starting in verse number 21, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men, and let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. They that go down to the sea in ships that do business in great waters. These see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind, which lifteth up the waves thereof. They mount up to the heaven. Now you remember the New Testament and the Lord Jesus Christ calmed the storm. But you're going to find right here in this portion of Scripture that the storm has come up, for he commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind, which lifteth up the waves thereof. Sometimes the Lord will lift up a storm just so he can calm that thing for you. Sometimes we need to be reminded that we are out of control and that he is always in control. I fear sometimes we get a false sense of security that we are in control from time to time and the Lord has to bring up a storm in our life or bring up uh, some boisterous seas to remind us that we need his help. Amen. We are never in control. Uh, we, are, we are always under the leadership of the one that is in control. And he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Everything we're doing tonight, we're doing for his name's sake. That what? That he may be known in the gates, as we've been mentioning on many, uh, many services prior to this one. But the Bible says in verse 25, For he commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind, which lifteth up the waves thereof. They mount up to the heaven. That's some high seas right there, Brother Marvin. They go down again to the depths. That's, some, that's, some, that's the ship breaking over the waves and going down to where it looks like you're actually going to go and be a swallowed by the sea. The Bible says here, they mount up to the heaven, they go down again to the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. You ever been at your wit's end? Now think about this. The storm is so boisterous and it is so out of control. It's under the Lord's control, but it's out of their control. That they are being tossed to the point that they are as a drunkard. A drunkard cannot think properly. A, a drunkard cannot accomplish anything for the state of his drunken stupor. And you're going to find that occasionally the storm gets so high and so boisterous that you don't seem to be able to get anything done but literally just be sick in the midst of the storm. You're doing your best just to stay in the boat a little long get anything else accomplished because of the storm that you're in. 
But the Bible does say they reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. Now notice this, please. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble. And he bringeth them out of their distresses. This is showing us, if you will, a delay in the prayer life of the one that is in this stormy problem. This one has had to be in the midst of this, uh, this to and fro storm. This one has had to be tossed upwards and downwards and side to side. This one has had to lose all control of everything before this person cried out to the Lord. Now you'll find that in Psalms 107, it's been broken down by many commentators uh, in the four categories. And one, ca uh, one commentator broke it down into four categories and categorized it this way. Verses 1 through 7 being the providence of God as he directs prisoners. And verses 8 through 20 is the pardon of God and he delivers, uh, excuse me, he directs uh, prisoners. And part, in, uh, verses 21 through 30, excuse me, the protection of God, he dissolves problems. Verses 31 through 43, the power of God, he delights his people. And as you break this down and you get into this section right here, you're seeing a, a person, if you will, who has uh, had a delay in their, their calling out to the Lord. Why would anybody delay in calling out to the Lord? One can get so um, familiar with what one's doing. One can get so uh, used to the uh, inner workings of the job at hand. I'm certain that a man that goes into uh, the seas, as the Bible says, these see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. They that go down to the sea in ships that do business in great waters. It's just business as usual. I mean, something that maybe not everybody does, but these individuals that do it day in and day out, they get comfortable in doing it. And I fear that sometimes if we get comfortable in what we're doing, the Lord has to bring up a boisterous wind, a stormy situation to get us to cry back out to him. It's good every once in a while for us to realize we have no control. We're just absolutely at his disposal and we need him to help us. And we have to remember that. If we don't remember that, sometimes he'll put us in a place where we have to remember that. All right? And so uh, we, we continued on here. The Bible says, Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he bringeth them out of their distresses. He's put them into this particular storm. And I understand not all storms are the same. But this particular storm, this storm has arisen by the hand of Almighty God so that it could cause the ones that was in the storm to redirect their thought pattern back to him once again just so he could calm the storm. He created the storm that he might calm the storm because of the fact that they had forgotten to call upon him, all right? He said he maketh the storm a calm so that the waves thereof are still. Then are they glad because they be quiet, so he bringeth them unto their desired haven. Now here's really what I'm wanting to deal with tonight, if the Lord help me just a minute. I'm going to deal with this matter of wit's end. And uh, sometimes we get to the place uh, where we're at wit's end. I mean, we just really are. And sometimes it's because uh, the storms are so many and reoccurring. 
uh, that we just get tired and weary and well-doing. Sometimes the storms are brought on by ourselves because we've neglected to give consideration to the Lord and give Him the place in our life that we ought to give Him. Nonetheless, storms do arise. Nonetheless, we are not in control. And number three, thank God, we are under the one that is under, has it under control. Amen? And so we cry out to Him, and it is good to do that. But wit, now the word wit is the understanding or mental powers. The faculty of associating ideas in a new an unexpected manner. In other words, it's the faculty of being able to come up with something, Brother Shane, off the cuff. You know, to find yourself in a situation where uh, it's not really something you deal with on a regular basis, but you just have the ability to adapt and overcome. Some people have a knack for that. No matter what seems to come up, they're able to somehow or another conjure up an idea to, to push on through and to get on past it and to go on. And uh, there was an electrician one time, I remember a man telling me a story, an electrician one time who was working on an electrical box at a dairy barn and uh, he had a pocket knife, a sharp pocket knife in his pocket, but he wouldn't strip the wire with a pocket knife. He said, I'm going to have to run back to the house and get my wire strippers. And the guy said, you got a pocket knife laying there? He said, yeah, but I like to use wire strippers. He said, if you had 100 cows to milk tonight, you'd use, those, you'd use that knife. And the point is you just adapt and overcome. You know, you just do with what you've got to do with. And uh, so the, the idea here is, is this word wit means the faculty of associating ideas in a new and unexpected manner. It's, it's to have uh, the sense or, or judgment. It's ingenuity. Well, what is ingenuity? Ingenuity is the quality or power of ready invention. Quickness uh, in combining skills. And essentially what's happened here is these individuals out on the sea in this midst of this storm is at their wit's end. They have no ability to conjure up. They have no ingenuity. No matter what they could possibly think of, no matter what ideas they could put together amongst the group that was in the boat, it would not fix the situation that they were in. Sometimes as a Christian you will get in a situation where no one, no body, no group can fix the problem for you. You will have to cry out to the Lord in your distress and say, Lord, help me. But oh, that men would praise the Lord for as many wonderful works towards the children of men. God's been good to us. God wants to remind us, I believe, time and time again because we put him in the situation where he has to, to bring us to the place in our life where we cry out to him. And if it's been a long time since you've cried out to him, if it's been a long time since you said, Lord, help me, help us move and work in our life, I assure you the Lord will have to bring a storm. If you won't bring it upon yourself to do it, he'll have to bring something upon you to cause you to do it. But basically, wit is being an overcomer, uh, an achiever in all manner of situation. This person was at their wit's end. No matter how good you are, no matter how uh, ingenuitive you may be, no matter how uh, prosperous, no matter what your situation is, the Lord has a way of bringing all of us to the place where we've reached the end of our personal ability. And uh, so that's, that's something I want to deal with tonight. So we find that there's all kinds of storms, all kinds of issues, all kinds of problems, all kinds of trials, all kinds of issues that show up in our life. 
Now, there's sometimes when problems arise in our life that we have to deal with. In this situation, one's in a, in a storm and a problem, an issue has come upon their life that they could not do anything about it. They cried unto God. Every time we have an issue, every time we have a problem, we should cry out to God. We should automatically just know in our mind that he is the avenue that we must seek. It ought to be so that our relationship with the Lord is such that in all facets of our life, he is the go-to person that you and I reach out to in all situations, in all questions, in all troubles, in all trials. He's who we go to. I find that's not always the case. Sometimes we try to use our wit, but sometimes he has to bring us to wit's end to show us that we need him. He wants to help us. He wants, he wants us to never forget that we need him because we do need him. And when you think you don't need him, you have a false sense of security to which you are deceived. And that deception is because of the devil. I'm telling you, you need him. We need him. But there are issues that arise, some bigger than others. But I want to say this, sometimes issues arise that you and I, if we're not careful, we want to ignore them. We want to overlook them. We want to sweep them under the rug. We want to act like they don't exist. We want to go on living as if the problems are not there. But the problem must be dealt with. Now I assure you, uh, sometimes you get in a problem that, that if it's not dealt with, you'll die. This, this, these individuals here that were, that were in uh, Psalms 107 that were out on the sea doing business in great waters, the storm, the problem, the issue was such that if they didn't get it fixed, they were dead. So they had a invested interest in seeing to it that this problem got resolved. Now they got to the place where they couldn't do it, so they went to the one who could fix it, and the Lord did indeed fix it. But they had an invested interest in seeing this problem resolved. Sometimes we let problems go by the wayside. Sometimes we sweep them under the rug. Sometimes we will not deal with them because we don't have a vested interest like we should. I want you to understand something here. Ultimately, these people wanted to live. But God's primary purpose in the storm was to have them rely upon him. Each of them were in the storm looking for different, different things. You understand what I'm saying here. And so I want you to understand sometimes a problem will face you that you, you're only seeing it in one way, but God's looking at it in a different one. It's important that when issues arise and they're within our control, that we're in our responsibility, they're within our duty to handle them, we must handle them. I do want you to know that the consequences of not handling them are great. Look with me, if you will, for just a moment in 1 Samuel chapter number 17 and verse number 1. I do realize this is a familiar text. I'm not going to stay here long. And uh, not that I would apologize for preaching from a familiar text, but that's not my heart necessarily uh, tonight. I just want to make a point here and move right along. But in 1 Samuel chapter number 17, and uh, verse number 11, excuse me, verse number 11, uh, the Bible said, when Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now you are familiar, I'm sure, of this particular passage of scripture, the story about how uh, Goliath and the Philistines had come up against Israel, the armies of the living God, 
and we understand that uh, this Goliath was a champion. Verse 4 said, and there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. And uh, we understand here that this man was a mighty man. He was a strong man, a huge man, time and again bigger than anybody in the armies of Israel. And, uh, and you understand here that the, the Philistines were made this individual their, his, their champion, right? They put all of their lock and all their stock and all of, they put everything into this man right here. And, and they trusted that this man was going to bring them victory. So much so that this man had an overconfidence in his stature that he was willing to mock the armies of Israel. But I do want you to see this major, large giant of an issue that has come out against the armies of Israel caused them to fear. Now the Bible says in verse 11, when Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed. And the Bible says here, greatly Afraid. Now, I will be the first to admit to you tonight that there are issues and trials and problems and things that one must face in their life, whether it be uh, from a church standpoint, a family standpoint, a home, you know, an individual uh, Christian life. Uh, there are things that come up and will face you, and you will have to face them that will cause you to be greatly afraid. Now, I mean, really and truly, when you go nose to nose with a man, when, when your nose, when you're standing flat-footed facing him and you have to look up to him and your chin's at his belly button, uh, you'll probably be twice to be afraid. That individual's bigger than you and uh, could knock you down and take you out and do whatever this individual wanted to. And so this, this, the armies of Israel not only was afraid, but let me say, their leader was afraid. The one they were looking to to lead them uh, and to bring them to victory and to lead them in the right direction was afraid. Understand, please, if you will, that uh, it'd be good for some of the leaders in the church today to admit that there are situations at times that make them afraid. I'm scared to death of a preacher that's never afraid. Oh, I'm scared to death of anybody that's never afraid. Because there's problems that arise that are much bigger than us. Why? You remember it was Peter that told Cornelius when he bowed down to worship him, stand up, he said. I am but a man. It'd be good for some preachers to admit in 2022 that they're just men. And they're relying upon God. And you're, you're relying upon them to rely upon God. But you're not relying upon them to be God. And so men get afraid. But I do want you to understand something. We don't, we, we don't cow down, Brother Shane, because of fear. We don't, we don't stop fighting because of fear. We don't quit doing what God tells us to do because we are afraid. Now, we'll say this. When we do, God will produce someone who is not afraid. But I do want you to understand here, and, and I want you to see, that there was a giant, big issue. And this giant big issue had called, caused fear to uh, embark upon the hearts of the army and upon King Saul. But we find in Joshua chapter number 1 and verse number 9 here, the Bible said, Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of good courage, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whither? So ever thou goest. 
I'm thankful that I may look at the big issue and say that the big issue is much bigger than me. But the issue is not much bigger than the God that I serve. And I thank the Lord for that. Now, what's interesting about this, you say, what does Joshua 1 contextually have to do with 1 Samuel? This is a totally different time frame. Well, it is except for there was a giant that was in the way. And we understand when we go back into Numbers when the children of Israel were brought out of Egyptian bondage and they were crossing the Red Sea and going through the wilderness headed to that of Canaan land. We understand that it was Caleb and it was Joshua who went and helped them spy out the land and said that they could take the promised land that God had told them they could have. But everyone else was fearful. And the Bible said in verse 30 of Numbers 13, And Caleb stood the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. Well, let me say this to you. You understand that the problem is there were giants in this land. And if you read verse 33, the Bible said, And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which came of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. And so we were in their sight. In other words, they're looking at themselves and they're saying, we are no bigger than these giants. These giants are so large that we are but grasshoppers. We can't do this. But Caleb says, oh, but we can. What happens was is they're looking at their self in light of their giant problem. Now, here's an interesting thing. Brother Marvin has always joked, and, and, and I've always talked with Marvin. He says, you kill baby giants when they're babies. And I love that because if you don't kill baby giants when they're babies, baby giants grow up and become big giants. But here's the thing about these giants in, uh, of Anak here in this land. The longer that they wait to possess the land, the more times the giants are going to reproduce. Now, if you don't take the land when you're told to take the land and you leave the giants alone, these, these giants who have baby giants grow up and become big giants. And the problem multiplies and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And when you don't deal with problems that need to be dealt with, they multiply. We don't want to allow problems to multiply. We want to be invested in the work of God. And although problems may cause us to fear, and although problems may arise, and although problems may hit us head on, and, and yes, I'm talking about really strike fear into your heart. And when you're tempted, and let me tell you, temptation comes to let the problems go. Why? Because it's easier. To let the problems go. But the consequences multiply the longer you do not deal with the problem. And then one day when you finally deal with it, I'll assure you it sometimes will cost you more than it would have if you'd have dealt with it when you should have. So yes, it's fearful, but you better trust God and expect God to help you. Now, in this situation, going back to 1 Samuel, I want us to understand something here. The, the, the king of Israel was not willing to deal with this problem. The, the leader of the nation of Israel was afraid. And he was camping out, allowing days to go by, and would not deal with the problem. But, as you know, this little shepherd boy who... Father Jesse has sent him to go check on his brethren and to bring victuals to them finds himself in a situation where opportunity has showed itself for David to rely upon God and to do something when no one else was willing to do it. 
Now, there was plenty of people that tried to tell him how to do it. There's, you'll find in the ministry, there's a lot of people that'll tell you how to do it, but they won't do it themselves. There's some preachers that'll tell you how to do it, but they won't do it themselves. There's some mamas and daddies that'll tell you how to do it, but they won't do it themselves. And there's a crowd of people today that love to tell folk how to do it. Listen, we have a nation today that likes to tell us how to raise children. They don't even have none themselves. People in positions to tell us how to raise our children are, are, are homosexual and they ain't got children of their own. Trying to tell me how to raise my children. I got a Bible, thank you. Maybe you ought to go get you some and raise you some before you start telling me how to do it. But neither here nor there, I'm just saying everybody's got an opinion. But what God says is what matters. But in this situation right here, we find that David is willing to go up against this giant. Now, quickly, moving right on through here, I want you uh, to look with me, if you will, in uh, verse 38 quickly, okay? I don't want to go through all these scriptures. I just want to move right along. Verse 38 said in Psalms chapter number, excuse me, 1 Samuel 17, verse 38, And Saul armed David with his armor. And he put a helmet of brass upon his head. Also he armed him with a coat of mail. And David girded his sword upon his armor. And he essayed to go, for he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And David put them off of him. So David was going with what has proven to be the best situation as his, as his experiences was in the past. That was what? Relying upon God. God helped him with the lion and the bear. The Bible said he took his staff in his hand. So now he's ready to go do business. He took his staff in his hand. And chose him five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had even in a strip. And his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. Now, I want you to notice this. When you read this story, you'll find that David, later down in this chapter, uh, he, he took the, the stone... He whirled that dude and he stuck it right in the giant's forehead and the giant fell down and David took the giant's sword and cut his head off. David killed his giant issue. David went and took care of an issue that wasn't just plaguing him, wasn't just plaguing the king. What was plaguing everyone that was in, that took part of or claimed to be a part of the nation of Israel. And so because of one little boy who was willing to do what God told him to do, who was willing to put his trust and hope and faith in the Lord, goes out there and does something that I want you to understand was something no one else would do. But I want to say this. David didn't know how it was going to work out. David just trusted that it was going to. But I want to say this. David was prepared to do more than what David had to do. How do we know that? David didn't pick up one stone, Brother Shane. David didn't pick up two. David didn't pick up three. David picked up five smooth stones. David was not only prepared to fight against the giant, but David had enough forethought that if he needed more than one stone and it took more than one, he was going to make sure he whirled him a second one. But more than that, I want you to notice with me here. Look with me, if you will, in 1 Chronicles chapter uh, number 21 for just a moment. 1 Chronicles chapter number 21. 
And I want to show you something here quickly. And I'm sure you probably know a portion of this. But we're going to look at it here just the same. I want to show you something. We've done seeing that if giants that are not dealt with, giant issues are not dealt with, they multiply. But notice with me here what happens uh, when you deal with your giant issue. First Chronicles chapter number 21 and verse number 4. The Bible said that it came to pass after this that there arose war at Gezer with the Philistines. At which time Sebekai, uh, the, the Hushathite, slew Sippai. That was of the children of the giant, and they were subdued. There was war again with the Philistines, and Elihanan, the son of Jair, slew Lamai, the brother of Goliath, the Gittite, whose spear staff was like a weaver's beam. Now stop for me just a moment. If you go back into 1 Samuel chapter number 17, you'll find that Goliath had the same thing, and it was the size of a weaver's beam. He was a large individual, just like Goliath. Now, as we move on here, the Bible said, And yet again, there was war at Gath. There was a man of great stature whose fingers and toes were four and twenty, six on each hand and six on each foot. And he also was the son of the giant. So here's another one that's massive, Brother Marvin. But when he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimea, David's brother, slew him. These were born under the giant in Gath, and they fell by the hand of David. But notice this, and by the hand of of his servants. Now there were some giants that were brothers to that of Goliath. David fought against more than Goliath, but David didn't kill all the giants. Some of these giants died by the hands of his servants. Now where Israel would not fight against the giants in the past, now David is fighting against giants, but the the children of Israel are also willing to get in there with him and fight the good fight. Sometimes you'll find if you'll just do what God wants you to do in fighting giants, that there'll be a crowd come up beside you one of these days and stand with you and help you to fight when the giants come. Now, notice with me uh, this other, the same story uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 21. Go with me there for just a moment. 2 Samuel chapter number 21. Now the Bible says here in a little more detailed story, verse 15 in 2 Samuel 21, moreover, verse 15 of 2 Samuel 21, moreover the Philistines had yet war again with Israel. And David went down and his servants with him and fought against the Philistines and David waxed faint. David had fought, brother of Shane, until David was faint. But the Bible said here, and uh, Ishbenob, which was of the sons of the giant, the weight of whose spear weighed 300 shekels of brass in weight, he bring, being girded with a new sword, thought to have slain David. But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, succored him and smote the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swore unto him, saying, Thou shalt go no more out with us to battle, that thou quench not the light of Israel. And it came to pass after this that there was again a battle with the Philistines to God. In other words, David must have got close enough to get killed. That the, the men that were fighting under him said, hey, you're not going out here anymore. You're going to surely get killed. You, you need, we need you for the duty that God has called you to. You're not going out anymore. And they are actually responsible. This man was actually responsible for having killed this giant. So this giant issue that David is facing wasn't killed by David. 
it was killed by someone that was helping him. All right, now the Bible said it came to pass after this that there was again a battle with the Philistines at Gob. Uh, the Sebekai, the Hushathite, slew Saph, which was of the sons of the giant. And there was against a battle in Gob with the Philistines where uh, Elhanan, the son of Jared Oregon, a Bethlehemite, slew the brother of Goliath the Gittite, the staff of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. And there was yet a battle in Gath. There was a man of great stature that had on every hand six fingers and on every foot six toes, four and twenty in number. And he also was born to the giant. And when he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimea, the brother of David, slew him. These four were born to the giant in Gath and fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. Now, we've discovered, and you can look, go back, study. If you'd like to, do this at home, please. You will find that this giant had four brothers. Four brothers who were also giants of the same lineage. They were big men like Goliath the Philistine. Now here's what I find interesting. The Philistines had come up and was going to fight against the armies of Israel. And Saul and Saul's army were afraid. They were dismayed and afraid. David goes down and he's going to fight Goliath. Now, some like to dogmatically state that the stones, the five stones, were one for Goliath and four for the other brothers. I do not know that to be true. I know that that sounds good, and it's a great possibility. I, I know that if my brother was fixing to go out and fight, I probably would be there to watch it. But I would say this to you. You will understand that whether it was for the four brothers or whether it was for the fact that the first stone might not work, David wasn't going to run when he flung the first one and the first one didn't hit. David was going to pack number two in there and sling it. And David was willing to pack all five at him if that's what it took. But David, you find that when he picked up five smooth stones, was prepared that when the first one didn't work, he wasn't going to run from the big giant issue. He was going to stand and throw every rock he had if that's what it took. But I do want to say this. There's something we don't see in these scriptures. We don't see that when he killed that big giant issue, we don't find the other four giant issues coming up to cause him any problems. I'll say this. Sometimes dealing with the big giant issue will automatically take the other giant issues and send them down the road. We have got to deal with big giant issues. My message is simply this tonight. I don't know what your big giant issues are. I don't know what's plaguing you. I don't know what could be in your family that's been slipping by the wayside and you've not wanted to deal with it. You've not wanted to talk about it. You've not wanted to approach it. You've been willing to live on like you're living and ignore it. If you don't deal with the big giant issue, the big giant issue is going to multiply and cause great big other giant issues. Uh, and the issues are going to exponentially increase uh, until it gets to the point where you're going to have trouble dealing with the big giant issues. Say, I've already got problems. It's a big, giant issue. God can take care of your big, giant issues. And just by standing up and being a soldier in God's army, willing to fight the giant issues that no one else is, or no one else is willing to touch, talk about, or deal with, you can put other giant issues on the run. And you know what? We want to put all the big, giant issues we can, send them down the road. We all going to have problems. We're all going to have big, giant issues. But if one giant issue comes at us, understand a whole pile more is coming right behind you. And the more giant issues you have on you, the harder it's going to be to deal with them. So you know what we got to do? We got to stand up and fight when nobody else is willing to fight. 
It's not fun. It's for, it, makes for, it makes for good preaching. I mean, it does. It makes for a good preaching message, but it's hard. The fact of the matter is what I'm preaching tonight is hard. When you put it on your level of living, it's difficult because you have big, giant issues that I don't have. I've got big, giant issues that you don't have. And when problems come up, you better deal with them big, giant issues. One thing's for certain, you cannot be dismayed and live in fear and let day by day by day go on because nothing will ever get solved. The problems will only increase. And the longer you wait to deal with the issues, the issues will start to think that you're never going to. Can I say the issues will become cocky and get up in your face and push you down and suppress you. The, the king of Israel was, was oppressed right here. Fearful. Fearful to the point that it had handicapped him from handling it. You better not let your fears handicap you. Why, preacher? Because we're already handicapped. We're just like those in the ship in Psalms 107. We didn't come into this world able to do one silly little thing, friend. We're in this world fighting, trusting that God will handle our great big issues. But I'll tell you what, when you head out for your big issue, don't you pick up one stone thinking that if it don't land, you're going to run. Sling it, and if you miss, sling the second one. And if you miss, sling the second one. If you miss, sling the third one. If you miss, sling the fourth one. Empty the bag at it, friend. Give it your best shot and trust God. Might just be that they realize this old boy ain't going to stop throwing rocks. You might not be able to aim worth a flip, but you better start slinging rocks. Sling them. Let them fly. Show somebody you're willing to fight and stand up. They might decide it ain't worth standing up against you. Because we're doing one thing and one thing only. We're doing what we're doing that God would help us. The Bible said in Psalm 70, or 23, He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. He's not leading Aaron Caldwell in paths of righteousness to uplift my name and elevate it to any status. He's leading me in paths of righteousness that His name might be exalted and magnified. And I want to say this, while we're living for him and being led in paths of righteousness, can I remind you, David is the one that Psalm, penned Psalms 23. David was the one that was led of the Spirit of God to go down there. Because his daddy, he obeyed his daddy. He, we find that he was in the right place at the right time to do what nobody else would do. Do you know if you'll just be obedient to God? If you'll just do what God told you to do. Just in being obedient to God. Just in minding him. That the Bible says all they that live right, try to live righteously will suffer persecution. All they. Every one of us are going to have problems. We're going to have afflictions. Just in being obedient to God, big giants are going to show up. You better take a good breath, pick you up a bag full of rocks, and get ready to handle them and tackle them as they come. And understand, don't think you're big enough. Don't go out there thinking, I've got this. No, go out there saying you don't have it. Go out there knowing that it might take more than one rock. But go out there trusting that you're going to do what nobody else will do. And then look at what God does. Hey, the harder the battle, friend, the sweeter the victory is. Victory, let me tell you something. Victory is sweet. You cannot tell me that there was that cheering and howling and jumping up and down and clapping of hands and hooping and hollering. I imagine it was quiet when Goliath hit the dirt. All you could hear was the thud of his big body hit the ground and the dust poof up around it. 
But when David walked up there and unsheathed Goliath's sword and cut his head off, I imagine that the Philistines ran and the armies of Israel hollered and you couldn't hear nothing but screaming and shouting and victory on that day. Why? Because one little boy went down there and done what God told him to do and cut the head off of the giant. We don't kill giants when they're small, they'll get bigger. If we don't kill big giants when there's one, they'll multiply. But if you'll kill one and you'll show that you're willing to fight and you'll let God do through you what you are not able to do. Because listen, not only did David realize that he wasn't big enough, Saul realized it too. It's said in the scriptures how small in stature this little fella was. Everybody was watching this thinking, oh, this boy's dead meat. He's dead meat. They were defeated for David before David ever went out there. But boy, when David cut the head off, I imagine everyone's attitude changed. And the morale was different down there in Israel that day. Can I say to you, when the morale changes because you, in your small stature, allowed God to work through you to accomplish something that only God could do, it will change the effects of those around you and it'll put your other giants on the run. Listen to me this, this evening and I'm done. You got issues. I got issues. Let's own it for what it is tonight. You got any issues tonight? Sure, preacher. I'd say you got issues you don't even want to share. I've got, I've got issues that pop up in my family from time to time I don't even want to talk about. It. I mean, I've got people in my family that does things I'd be ashamed to tell you about. I mean, that's just, it's just awful, the stuff that goes on. There's issues that present itself to me and my family all the time. There's issues presenting its things in your family. There may be issues inside of your immediate family. You know what you do? You hit that thing head on. And you call it what it is. Say, I'm scared. Trust in the Lord. You, you'd be crazy not to be scared. God, understand, wants us to be scared. God purposed to scare those in Psalms 107 by bringing up a storm that they could not fix and put them at their wits end to show them that they needed to be scared. Hey, there's nothing wrong, friend, with having some fear about what's around you, but there's also nothing wrong in trusting him to be bigger than your fears. For I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And he, friend, is the only thing that's going to get us through. He's proven it time and time again. He wants to remind us so much that sometimes he's willing to bring on some storms and some problems and some issues that only God can resolve, knowing that we have to call upon him to get them resolved. There may be some issues that you're ignoring. There may be some that you're fighting in your own flesh. And let me tell you something, too, while I'm at it. If you try to fight issues in your own flesh without God helping you, you're going to, you're going to hurt you're going to hurt and create a bigger problem. You may be in a situation in your home tonight where the issue is great and large. If you're not working in that situation with the help of the Lord, if you're handling it contrary to God's word, you're only making the issue bigger. It's the same way in God's house. An issue arises in God's house, and we don't deal with it according to the King James Bible. We had to handle it in our own flesh. You know what we'll do? We'll create the issue to become bigger. We'll make the issue larger than what it was. You have got issues. And I have got issues. And we will need to handle these issues and tackle them head on. But we'll have to do it with God as our helper. You better cry out to the Lord. You better cry out to the Lord. The Lord, maybe you, you, maybe you need to be reminded tonight 
that God is your only help. God is your only help. I assure you, you're going to make the giant issues bigger if you tackle them head on and you don't have God helping you and on your side. You've got to go the direction of the Lord. But if you've got the Lord and you've got the Bible and you've got, you've got the, the zeal to do it, God will bless you for it. And God will help you and God will bring victory in your problems and in your life. It may not happen immediately. It may, it may come a little later down the road. But God's interested in helping you in your problems. Did you know that? God is interested in helping me through my issues. And I appreciate that. But sometimes I forget in all my effort to fight that I'm not fighting this battle alone. I'm never alone in this battle. And if I find I am, it's because I walked away from where he was and took it upon myself to do something that God did not direct me to do. And when you do something that God does not direct you to do, you can rest assured you are going to succumb to the effects of this giant issue. But there's no issue bigger than the God that you serve if you'll fight that giant with the help of the Lord. Let's all stand to our feet tonight. Sister, if you'll come to the piano, I don't normally give an invitation on Wednesday night, but I feel like the Lord would have us to do that. Every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. If you'd like to come talk to the Lord, if you've got some issues, some problems, some trials, something that's so great you just don't feel like you can handle it, maybe you need to come and talk to the Lord. Maybe you've got some problems in your life that you've been trying to fight and you've been trying to fight them on your own. And uh, you need the Lord. You need to come pray. Could be that uh, you've forgotten that you need the Lord altogether and the Lord may be having to bring you through a storm just to show you that you need Him. You can bypass the storm. The Lord don't have to bring the storm upon your life if you'll go ahead and just yield to Him now and say, Lord, I'm willing, I'm willing to trust you. I need you. I need you to help me. You're my only hope. You're my only help. You're my only stay. Please, Lord, stand by me. When the storms of life are raging, stand by me. The other song said, he leadeth me. Friend, he's wanting to lead you. He'll stand by you. He'll help you. 